Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Here. Raise your hand if you are really looking forward to retirements. All right, and we're for everybody. We're going to be looking at what is Jesus do in the clubhouse when you are retired, when you think you are just done with everything. Um, so our scripture passage today is going to come from Second um, Kings chapter 2, um, verse 9 through 14. And the scripture reader from 830 stole the scripture. So we're going to read it off the screen. Um, so this is from Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9. It says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, Thanks be to God. Anybody else grow up reading the Sunday comics back when we used to have a newspaper? Raise your hand if you used to read the Sunday comics, or maybe you read it throughout the week. Um, in that, who read Dennis the Menace? Who was Dennis the Menace? Now, my grandparents used to have, like, they had these books full of Dennis the Menace comics, and I felt like that was just an invitation for us to be influenced to act up at their house just a little bit more. Because um, my granddad reminded me a little bit of Mr. Wilson. Y'all know, raise your hand if you know Mr. Wilson. Yeah, raise your hand if you are Mr. Wilson, I should say. Because Mr. Wilson, if you're not familiar with the Dennis the Menace comic strip, is the grumpy, stereotypical old retired guy who yells, get off my lawn at every turn. He doesn't want Dennis around, doesn't want Dennis causing mischief. He has no time for this because he's earned it. Right? Mr. Wilson has worked hard for his peace and tranquility. He has been in the workplace. He's been raising kids. He's done all of that. He just wants to play golf, play bridge, play canasta, paint, sew, do whatever he wants to do. Watch golf all day long. Just get off my lawn and don't bother me. This is the dream of retirement, isn't it? The dream of retirement that you can do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do, and nobody has to bother you because you have no obligation to anybody because your paycheck is settled, your finances are settled, you've got health insurance, hopefully you've got your house in order. You just want to be done. Right? Elijah has a uh, Dennis the Menace moment or Mr. Wilson moment with Elisha in this leading up to the story that we, we read. That whole first part where it says, 
um, you know, what do you want from me? Or before I go, what, uh, what do you want from me? It sounds kind of like an invitation. Then it's a polite invitation of I will give you whatever you asked of me. But if you follow the story, it's more of a what do you want, kid? Why are you following me around? Because Elijah's earned his peace and quiet. In 1 Kings, Elijah's the only prophet who is standing up against the prophets of Baal. He's the only one who's left of the prophets of Yahweh, of God, who is defending the faith and standing up for God amongst all the things that Ahab and Jezebel and everybody are trying to bring into Israel in terms of false gods and false teachings. So Elijah's been working hard. He's had his life threatened. He has lived on a mountain in solitude for a long time. Like Elijah has earned his rest. And even in the first chapter of 1 Kings, people are coming to see him that are from Ahab, and he just takes the lazy way out. And instead of talking to them, he just incinerates them with heavenly fire like we all do. Get off my lawn, get off my mountain, leave me alone. And Elisha is apparently there with him for about six years, but not in this moment. Because Elisha shows up, and he kind of starts following Elijah around. And Elijah says, well, hold on, I'm, I'm, the Lord told me to go to Jericho, right? So the Lord told me to go to Jericho. Why don't you stay here? And it's kind of like if you've ever had that little kid who follows you around and you tell them something and they say, why? And then you tell them something else and they say, why? And then you tell them something else and they're like, why? And they just keep on going. Well, I've got to go to Jericho. You should probably stay here. Why? Well, I've got to go across the Jordan. I should probably stay here. Why? And Elisha just keeps following him around until he's like, what do you want? And Elisha says, give me a double blessing. And Elijah's just at this point. He's just done. Or at least he thinks he's done. About nine years ago, I remember I was sitting in an annual conference. I was 31 nine years ago, so that's how old I am now. And um, so nine years ago, we're sitting in this annual conference, which is the geographical region of United Methodist churches that are affiliated with each other. So we're in the North Texas annual conference, and we have a kind of business meeting once a year. It's a big worship service. We do business stuff within the conference, and and in that we celebrate people who are getting retired or who are um, who are uh, choosing to go into retirement. And the United Methodist Church for clergy has a mandatory retirement age of 72. Most people retire before that, but by 72, you have to exit out of the program. So we're sitting there, and one of the guys on our row is retiring that year. They call his name. His name is Ben. So they call Ben's name up, and he walks to the front, and they say, Ben has served for like 54 years. And I was like, wow, 54 years, like a, a sermon every week and all the care and all the things that go along with ministry for 54 years. That's a lot. And then the, the senior pastor I was working with at the time leaned over and he goes, I've calculated it out. I've only got 11 years left. And uh, we were going, we were having an a, a appointment change at that time at the church. And so the new senior pastor was there and he goes, yeah, I've calculated it out. I've got about 25 years left. And somebody said, yeah, I've only got like 17 years left. And then I started doing the math and I thought, oh, I've got 41 more years <laughs> All right, 41 more years until 72. Okay, I can, I can do this. And, um, and so the, Ben came back by this point. He was kind of in the midst. He found out what was going on in the conversation. He heard my, you know, lamenting of 41 years. And I'm not, I love what I do. I'm just saying it's, you know, 41 years is a long time. Uh, so I heard 41 years and he looks at me and he goes, yep, I'm done. <laughs> Joke's on him. He has been asked to be an, an interim minister at churches more often than anybody else in the entire conference because you're never really done. And that's what I think is one of the things about what would Jesus do in retirement. I mean, Jesus didn't say a lot about retirement. He didn't make it. I mean, 33 when he died and resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. And so in terms of what we think of as retirement, he didn't have a lot to say. But one of the things that he did talk about quite often 
was this concept called Sabbath. And in Sabbath, it, we are commanded to take a rest. And Jesus says the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And it's not that we follow all sorts of restrictions and laws on the Sabbath, but it is we reconnect. And often when we hear Jesus talk about Sabbath or anybody talk about Sabbath, it is an invitation to do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want. It is an invitation that, you know what, the best thing to do on Sunday morning would be to go play nine holes and, and skip church. The best thing to do is whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as everybody stays away from me, gets off my lawn, doesn't tell me anything to do. And that's not really what Sabbath was about. Sabbath was a disconnection from the work that we do, the productivity that we are. Because what are we asked first and foremost at parties? What's your name? What do you do? Right? When I play golf with people who are retired, maybe during the week, you know what the first question that is asked of them? What's your name? What did you used to do? We are very connected by the work, the productivity that we did. Did you raise kids? Did you sell things? Did you work in a handy shop? You know, what, we are very connected to what we do and what we produce. And that is because in Genesis, we were told to steward the land. We were told to be creative. We were told to be productive. That is part of who we are. But Sabbath was this built-in time every time during the seven, every seven days where we are meant to put what we do aside and lean into what God has done for us. Lean into connecting with who we are instead of what we do. And it's built in so those of us who are not retired should lean into this a little bit more of getting rid of the work that we're doing and the game that we're going and the schedule that we keep to lean into who we were created to be and be restored so that we could be the best versions of ourselves. But what I believe Sabbath enters in retirement is it is this intentional time where we have put off work where we say, you know what, I'm done with work, I'm done with being part of the rat race, I'm done with relying upon somebody else for a paycheck, I am done with somebody taking orders from somebody, I am done from that, from that part of my life, and I'm entering into a time of Sabbath. Again, Sabbath biblically is not I do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. Sabbath is I'm putting aside what I do to reconnect with who I am. And there's often this habit in churches, we see retired people who kind of step up and start leading Bible studies or leaning into the Bible more or coming to church more or being more active in the church. And it's not just because they have more time. It's often because they finally get a chance to slow down and discover the value system that they want or discover the value system that they have always wanted and reconnect with things. And so I think that for people who are retired or leaning toward retirement, one of the gifts you're given is this new time of Sabbath to where you can separate from what you did or what you do and lean into who you are and who you were created to be. And I think in that, what I, what I see people find and what I hope that you find is that you are still valuable. One of the things that when we are growing up, um, let's say you're getting done with high school, uh, usually in our community, the next thing you are judged upon is, well, where are you going to go to college? Because you get into college and that is successful. Or maybe you're going for your first job or vocational school or tech school or something like that, right? You've entered into something else. And then when you get done with college, it's, well, maybe I've gotten into a grad school or maybe I'm getting my first job after that. There's always some progression of how somebody else finds you valuable, of what I can get into or who's going to pay me, who's going to find me valuable enough that I can contribute. to their company, contribute to society, and they're going to deem me worthy enough. For those who have been unemployed in the past or who have 
found themselves unemployed, there's often a value loss of, of somebody doesn't think I can contribute anymore. Especially if you've been with someone for like 30 years or so, and they've all of a sudden realized you're not valuable anymore. So when we are retired, we may not feel it necessarily, but societally, there is this element of what good are you anymore? And, and I, I say that knowing that we are taught to respect our elders, but there is a woman who is, uh, her name is Missy Buchanan, who is a member at uh, First Methodist Church of Rockwall. She's a prolific writer about spirituality and aging. And one of the things that she reports often, and I, I hope you've never heard this, I know I've never said it, is um, that senior adults, retired persons in, their, in congregations, are often told that their only value to the church is, and I quote, to shut up and pay up. I hope you've never heard that before. Because I think in this Sabbath time of retirement is this awesome opportunity that Christ gives us to reconnect with who we are, to find our value outside of just what we do and what we produce, and for who we truly are, who we were created to be. That every time you are still breathing in this life, you remember in Genesis 2 when God breathed life into you and gave you this soul and the spirit to be part of uh, creation, to be part of life, that every time you are still moving and walking and talking, that you were given a body that carries you into opportunities to bless others and to experience the joy that is life. And so this Sabbath period of retirement is, yes, enjoy it. Take the trip. Buy the boat, right? Go play golf. Do all of these wonderful things, but recognize that your value lies well beyond what you are going to do in retirement. It's an opportunity to find, reconnect with who God made you to be. I think that's where Jesus really enters into retirement age, is this opportunity to recognize that I'm not done yet. That even though we just want to be done, and we associate being done with what we have produced in our work life or our parenting life or otherwise, that God gives us this invitation in retirement to say that we're not done yet. That we have an amazing ability to leave a legacy with somebody from everything that we have gained through the wisdom of our life to pass that along and leave the legacy for somebody else and in turn learn from them. And Elijah learns this in being bothered. I mean, I, I read it in terms of the Dennis the Menace, Mr. Wilson relationship of Elijah's just pestering him for this blessing. And Elijah finally says, you know, what do you want? And Elijah says, I want a double inheritance. And the interesting part about that is that the double inheritance in the Hebrew Bible would have been given to the oldest son naturally. So like the Esau and Jacob story, Esau would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance. Jacob would have gotten one-third had he not swindled his brother into his own inheritance. So Elisha is asking for the oldest son's share from Elijah, not of finances, though, of his spirit. And often when we're thinking about, okay, we're into our retirement, we're going to leave a legacy, we're always thinking about, or most of us are thinking about, what am I leaving for my family? What's my financial legacy? How am I setting up my family for financial success or, or whatever? And Elisha leans into, I want double of what you have spiritually. And it's not even blood related. This is the, the, the crazy thing about what Elisha asks, is that Elijah has no obligation, familial or covenant-wise, to give Elisha anything. And, and I see this. One of my favorite stories recently is, um, for those of you who know Taylor and Ethan Carver, they've decided to move to Van Alstine for 
uh, various reasons. And um, they usually, in the traditional service, they sit right back there all the time with their three girls. Um, but right in front of them is an older couple, Peggy and Buddy Stapp. And the Stapps sit there, and um, when, uh, when I, f- I found out about the news that they were leaving, it was Peggy coming to me after one of our funerals and saying, oh, did you hear that the Carvers are moving? And I said, oh, no, I didn't. That's really sad. And she goes, yeah, I'm really sad. And I said, well, I know that you guys sit close to each other. And she, she goes, oh, no, they're part of our family. I said, how'd that happen? She said, well, they had a kid, and we turned around and saw that kid and decided it was ours. <laughs> And it's just one of the greatest things that there is no reason, evolutionary-wise, logically-wise, why they should be that close. But because of the power of Christ in their lives and because of how the staffs have viewed their retirement life, they turned around and saw this kid in a church and said, that's one of mine. That is mine. And, and they invite the girls over to dinner. They buy them Christmas presents. They have this great legacy relationship to where those girls are going to grow up with kind of the same upbringing that I had of knowing that there are multiple parents and grandkids in their church who love them and who will both discipline them like Mr. Wilson or love them like Mr. Wilson once he comes around. And what Elijah does for Elisha is he grants them this legacy that he doesn't see his Retirement years is just, I'm going to stay to myself. He finally comes around and says, Elisha, yes. And, and Elisha's been with him for six years, but he says, yes. If you can follow what I've been showing you, if you can learn from me, then here is the double blessing. And when Elisha finally gets taken up, Elisha puts on this mantle, kind of like a stole, that he, he fills in Elijah's shoes. And he strikes the water, and the water parts. Does that remind you of a certain story? Well, it's meant to. Because before this part we got to Elijah to get from the Israel side of the Jordan River to the Jordan side of the Jordan River had struck the water and the water had parted and they had walked across on dry land. And now Elisha's doing it back because he's fully living into the role that Elijah has given to him, the legacy that Elijah has given to him so that he can live on in a stronger way of life. And Moses did that for Joshua. Moses parts the water and Joshua parts the water. And we see Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. And eventually when we get into the New Testament, we have Jesus who intentionally brings disciples along with him. And as he's getting ready to die and resurrect and ascend up to heaven, he talks about giving the advocate, giving the Holy Spirit to all of us or to his disciples at the time so that his message, his mission, his mantle does not stop. And Jesus empowers these people that we are the beneficiaries of. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't given the disciples the Holy Spirit. They had not taken the Holy Spirit responsibly and gone out into all the world and made disciples as Matthew 28 tells us to do. And what I love about Matthew 28 is it says that at the very end of that, it says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And Jesus is referring basically to the end of the age, basically when he will come back. He will be with us until he comes back and he's actually with us. But I think we could turn that on the head and say, I will be with you at any age. And that at any age, we are called to make disciples. We are called to leave a legacy. We are called to mentor up the next generation. We're called to mentor people in our own age range. That just because we're done with that raising kids work part of our life, the things that we have done does not separate us from who we are. And who we are is part of the body of Christ. Who we are is purveyors of the Holy Spirit. That never goes away. And I hope that doesn't bring exhaustion to your life. I hope that brings excitement to your life if you're a retired person because you are still incredibly valuable here even if someone has told you that maybe you're too old to work or you've decided you're too old to work. You are incredibly valuable in the eyes of God because you still have 
incredible purpose to leave a legacy, to be valuable, to claim kids as your own, to love other people so that they know what you know. And far from telling them to leave you alone or get off your lawn, this is the prime time in your life to actively spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the prime time in your life to make disciples of Jesus Christ, the prime time in your life to build up others to know what you have experienced so that they too will then leave a legacy for somebody else. And we asked the kids in third grade Sunday school, said, why is it important? We were reading the story about Jesus inviting the children to come to him. And Arden and Ella asked, why is it important for the kids to learn? Why is it important for the next generation to learn about Jesus? And there were various answers. And eventually someone said, well, so that they can know that God loves them too. So in the Dennis the Menace comic strips, if you've read enough of them, you realize that the Mr. Wilson character who yells at Dennis the Menace and gets exacerbated by Dennis the Menace secretly loves Dennis. Because Mr. Wilson somehow through annoyance or familiarity or choosing to just not get rid of somebody, choosing to not be done, finds a protege who nobody else really wants Dennis around. And yeah, it's Mr. Wilson who actually teaches Dennis the love that he has. Marilyn Wallace, on our trip to Israel, when I was, we were talking about retirement, and we were talking about Heritage Ranch, and I might have made some jokes about Heritage Ranch once or twice, and um, Marilyn Wallace said, you know, the best thing about being retired, you get, you know, because I had made a comment about how everybody who I know is retired is just tired again because they're so busy. So the best thing about being retired is that we're so busy, but we get to choose what to be busy with. If you are inching toward retirement or you are retired, what a gift you have to be able to choose the legacy you leave right now, the time you spend. What a gift you have to choose your time spent blessing others in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the hands that you have given us, the feet that can walk, the mouth that can talk, and all the things that make us productive. We thank you for the ability to raise up kids that are our own or not our own. We thank you for the ability to create products. We thank you for the ability to make deals and build relationships. But ultimately, God, we thank you for the breath that you've given us. Until our final breath, Lord, we know that we are meant to draw close to you for our firm foundation. That no matter what the world says around us, that you have looked upon us with love and grace. And you've invited us to be a part of something so much better than any company or corporation. And so, God, for those who have earned their rest, we pray that they would deliver that rest to somebody else. And they would invite um, all of us who are in need of Sabbath to look at their lives and recognize the goodness that you bring. So, Lord, may they be our light on a hill that is not hidden. May they be uh, those whom we look to for wisdom. May they be an inspiration in our lives. And, Lord, may they feel loved and valuable. Because truly, you are never done with us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.